So good morning, Eastside family. I want to remind you of a very important aspect of our worship, regular worship. It's the offerings that we bring before God every Sunday. And so we make it possible for you to bring your offerings in four different ways. You can mail a check to the church address. You can give an automatic draft through your bank. You can go online and there's a box that says give on our website. Click on that box, follow these instructions. Or if you're here in person, you can give your donation contribution, your tithes there at the box on the way out at that table. And if you're not here in person, but you're live streaming with us, we certainly want to um, tell you that we are absolutely delighted to have you here with us this morning, certainly. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Micah, if you can find it, Micah chapter 6. I'm going to go to 5, and it's going to take me a while to get there, but let's go ahead and turn there now and have Micah 6 ready. And as we're going there, I want to mention to you, I want to remind you of um, a class that I'm going to start teaching this Wednesday night. It's here in this auditorium. It's going to be on the topic of uh, on human sexuality. It's a sensitive topic. It's going to be a, a compassionate and a biblical look at human sexuality. And I understand that's, that's a, a tough thing to talk about, something we'd rather ignore, rather not talk about. And there's a lot of pieces to that, and we're not going to be able to cover everything exhaustively. But the truth is, this is something we as followers of Jesus need to understand and to seek God's will and, and, and what it means, what it means to, to be a follower of Jesus with that. It's, it's, it's very relevant, very relevant, the... Um, horrible news of what happened at the Club Q a week ago just put that in the forefront of our thoughts it's been hard for us to carry the event that happened here a Sunday morning that brought that to surface reminded us in a very personal way our church was actually represented last Sunday night at the prayer vigil at the Club Q and it was, it was a beautiful gathering of prayer and hugging people and showing our, our love and support, and it needs to continue on. And so um, the class is going to be here. You're welcome to attend. Um, and I just want to say uh, how much I appreciate those four last week who gave their testimonies. It was kind of crazy that in the midst of that drama event we had last week, uh, so many of you said how beautiful the service was in the sense of Fran and, and Mike and Whitney and then precious Ben Thomas. Um, it's as though God used Ben to, to recapture our service. And so it, it was a beautiful week to set the stage for Thanksgiving. I had a wonderful Thanksgiving celebration with my family in Tennessee. So here's what we're going to do this morning. Before we jump into our text, there's a video that has been prepared. I want you to take a look at this. Hello, what would you like for Christmas? I would like to spend time with my family. What a physical thing would you like for Christmas? Okay, okay. <laughs> oh, I got it. I want Legos. What would you yes. like for Christmas? Some peace and quiet. <laughs> what would you like for Christmas? 
I would like for one day my kids to get baptized. Yeah, that's a great answer. What would you like for Christmas? I would like a motorbike for Christmas. A motorbike? Yeah. Crazy. Oh my goodness, Eddie. <laughs> I want a, um, I forget what it's called, but it makes zucchini into spirals. So Ooh. it's a machine that makes zucchini into spirals. What would you like for Christmas? I would really like a kitten, but I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen. <laughs> Me and my dad are both um, an squishmallow. An oxalata squishmallow, that's all. What would you like for Christmas? Money. So where is Lynn? Lynn, it's, a, it's called the spiralizer, all right? It's called the spiralizer. What do you want? Let me ask you, what do you want for Christmas? I think it's really important to let people know what you want. As a matter of fact, Addie is going to be doing one video every Sunday the whole month of December. She's already got the first three prepared. She needs one more to go. And so she has her microphone with her. She wants to interview some more people. And so if there's something you want everybody to know that you want for Christmas, be looking for Addie. She was in here earlier. She's back in the junior worship today. Uh, look for her. There she is over there. Addie, stand up. Be looking for her. Great job with the video. Be looking for her. And uh, she would love to, to, for you to tell her. And it's important that you tell her because, listen, if you don't tell people what you want for Christmas, if you don't give them a Christmas list, it's going to be, what's his name? It's going to be kind of like, you remember the story with Ralphie? You're going to get stuff that you don't want, right? And nothing is more awkward than getting stuff you don't want and you open it up and it's the last thing you want and you have to pretend like... You like it. And they can tell usually that you're faking it, right? You ever gotten like, like Christmas socks for Christmas? It's like, what do you do with Christmas socks? I have a whole drawer full of Christmas socks. Where do you wear them? Or maybe, maybe you're going to give your dad this year one of, these, one of these ties that it's one of these um, Christmas ties and you push a button on it and it plays a, a weird version of, of jingle bells. One of the popular gifts is the David Hasselhoff chia plant. Like, wow, what, a, what I've always wanted, never. I think my favorite present are the matching Christmas pajamas. I promise you, if you buy me and Karen matching Christmas pajamas, we will never wear them. Not unless we go to Walmart, then we'll fit in really well, right? And then, and then, if, you're, and then if you're sitting there going, oh, I don't know what to get, the, the go-to gift, and usually it's the re-gifting gift that somebody gave you and you don't want, is just to give somebody one of those beautiful scented candles, right? It's kind of like somebody gives you, I, don't, I have a collection of scented candles at my house, and I want to tell people we have electricity, right? And if... And if and if my house doesn't smell good, just let me know. But this is one that it says, this is a Yankee candle with schnitzel and noodle flavor. I don't know about you. I can imagine burning that. I don't know about you, but buying Christmas presents for some people is just kind of complicated. What do you buy for that person who just seems to have everything. 
Because you just know I'm going to be telling them, oh, if you don't like it, you can take it back. So let me ask you this question. Speaking of one who has everything, here, here's the question I want to leave with you today. What does God want for Christmas from you? And, and I think it's a fair question because this is a Christian holiday celebrating the gift of God's Son given to us. And so I think we ought to be asking, what is it that's important to Him? What is it this holiday season that God wants from you? Now, it may be surprising to you, but the Bible actually gives us the answer to that question. And it gives us the answer to that question from an Old Testament prophet named Micah. Now, I understand some of you are kind of new to the church and new to the Bible. And so you're going, Micah, who in the world is Micah? And what in the world does he have to do with Christmas? Well, I'm glad you asked. There's one story in the New Testament most of us are familiar with that connect us to Micah. It's in, it's in Matthew chapter 2. And you know the story is that... the the wise men, we call them, or the biblical word would be magi, and, and they make their way to Jerusalem. As they're making their way to Jerusalem, they're looking for where is this king of the Jews that has been born, that's to be born, that has been born by that time. So they go to Jerusalem, they go to the Herod, to his court, and they ask him, he brings in his experts, and they read to him these words, they, 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 they share with him these words. in Bethlehem of Judea for so it is written by the prophet and you O Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel now notice how it says there that the birthplace of Jesus is in Bethlehem and it was something that was written or I would say foretold by the prophet so now our question is who was this prophet and where in the world was this written? Well, we find the answer here in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. We see this prophecy where it's almost the exact same words. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Take a look at this. 700 years before Christ ever came, Micah nailed it. He said, this is where the Messiah is going to be born. And so I think most of us, most of us are, are pretty familiar with the prophecy because we know the story of the Magi and being told by the, the, the scholars in Herod's court where he's going to be born. But a lot of us are like, who is Micah? And I think a really important question is, that's a really neat prophecy, but how does it fit into all of Micah's message there in his book of prophecy? And then thirdly, why would we even talk about it? How in the world is that even relevant for our lives? It actually, it is incredibly relevant. So I want us to spend some time looking at Micah and his message today and in the, in the weeks to come. We see in chapter 1 of verse 1 that Micah was, he was a prophet, but you might call him a country preacher because he tells us that he was from the town of Morasheth, which was basically a small, obscure town. It was about 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem. It was near, actually, the town of Tekoa. Amos, Tekoa is a small country town. Amos was another country prophet, a country preacher from the country town. They were both neighbors. And if you know the history of these prophets, you know that, that Micah was a contemporary 
of Isaiah. And most everybody has kind of like heard of Isaiah and some of his prophecies. And it's real easy for Micah's little book of seven chapters to be overshadowed or to be eclipsed by Isaiah because Isaiah's got 66 chapters and, and Isaiah has the most sophisticated of the Hebrew language in the Old Testament. But this little book of Micah given to us by a country preacher from a little country town. It went into the Oval Office of their day. And 700 years later, it was still being spoken of in the court of King Herod. And centuries later, we're still speaking of him in his message today. We also see in chapter 1 and verse 1 some really important historical information. Micah's ministry of prophecy was in the days of three different kings. Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And these were all kings of Judah. And it's important to understand that Micah prophesied at a time of Israel's history when God's nation was divided. It was divided into northern kingdom of Israel and southern kingdom of Judah. And while, while, while Micah prophesied to both of these kingdoms his primary focus was on the southern kingdom of Judah if you were to read the history of this divided king and kingdom and I would encourage you to do that it's in second kings and second chronicles just look up Ahaz Jotham and Hezekiah actually I got those in the wrong order read about that and as you do you're going to be very depressed it's kind of like looking at our news today it just leaves you very depressed it was a very very dark period of history for God's people actually when I was reading through those two different books and looking at the history when Micah prophesied I'm thinking man this looks a lot like our nation today it was so bad back in that day that God decided to send the Syrian army into the northern kingdom to destroy them, to conquer them, and carry their people away. Micah and the people of Judah saw this happening. But in the book of Micah, we realize God says, hey, I'm not letting Judah off the hook. Through Micah's prophecy and other prophets, we're told that God was then going to send another foreign nation to destroy the southern kingdom of Judah and as well take their people into exile. And so Micah gives this message power-packed message in, in seven chapters. And it's got basically one message composed of three different messages. All three of these messages start with the famous Hebrew word Shema, which means hear. In chapter 1, in verse 1, the first message, verse 2, hear you peoples, all of you. In chapter 3, in verse 1, hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. And then in chapter 6, in verse 1, hear what the Lord says. And so he gives these three messages, all basically with one dual combined message. It was a stern message of judgment upon the sins of the people. But you'll also find in Micah's message of prophecy, a message of hope and redemption and that's where this prophecy of the coming of the Messiah in Bethlehem fits in listen Micah's prophecy of the Messiah coming out of Bethlehem is a message to a divided nation to a broken nation to a messed up people does that sound familiar it's incredibly relevant I think it's what we're going to see 
Just as Micah presented Jesus in this prophecy is he is the answer to the darkness of the nation and the people in his day, so also we're going to see, I believe, that Jesus still is the answer to the darkness in our nation. And so it's here in this book of prophecy foretelling the Christmas story that's drawing our attention to the birth of God's son born in Bethlehem. We're not only told what it is God wants, as I would say, for Christmas, but God even gives us a list. This is what brings us now where I ask you to be in chapter 6. Now in chapter 6, it opens up, it opens up with, in, in the Hebrew language, something like a court language. This is a, a court scene. God is bringing a charge against his people. He's bringing an indictment against his people. And he tells his people basically in general, I have been so good. I have been so faithful to you. And this is the way you have treated me and the way you treat others. You are guilty, guilty as charged. And so now as we're going to begin reading in chapter 6, we're going to see them coming back to God with something like a, like a plea bargain. Okay, so what can we do? What can we give you so that you'll drop these charges? Let's begin reading now in verse 6 of chapter 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? What can I give God? What is just the, what's just the perfect gift I can give him? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? That's it. I'll, I'll get him a, a year old calf. He'll love that. Will the Lord, verse 7, be pleased with thousands of rams. Yes, that's it. I'll give God a thousand rams. I mean, that certainly he would be delighted to have. Or with 10,000 rivers of oil. Oh, what about an, I'll give him, I'll give him an abundant supply of oil. I mean, who wouldn't want that? And so they're trying to think, what is it we can bring before the God who is everything to kind of make things right? And finally, as Micah is representing the, the, the thoughts of the people, he goes to the extreme gift and says, I know what I will bring to the Lord. It says, shall I give him my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? That's what I'll do. I'll give him one of my children. That's what he's saying there. I'm going to devote to God my son, Jonathan. I mean, what greater gift can you give someone than your child? Imagine, imagine if Michael and Michaela Lopez came up and they brought a big birth Christmas box for you as a present and you open it up and there was their son, Alexander. I mean, we just love Alexander. Thanks a lot. Like, and some of you parents are going, this is in the Bible? <laughs> here, here, yeah, what a tremendous presence. So you, you see what's going on here is that as they're trying to decide what gift can I bring before the God to, to appease him, they come up with all of these religious gifts. And religious rituals to fix things. 
So then I go back to 2 Chronicles and 2 Kings and I'm reading this history and I see how all of this played out. Under the first two kings, Jotham and Ahaz, it was really bad. They were really evil. They were very ungodly, especially under the second guy, Ahaz. It was so bad, he shut the doors to their church building. He literally shut the doors to the temple. We're not even going to go to church anymore. So it was really bad during their day. And then his son, Hezekiah, somehow broke the cycle from his dad and he was a good king. And he brought about religious reform. He opened the doors to the temple again. He brought the preachers back in, the Levites, and he had them carry out their work. He had them start songs of worship and praise. He brought back the animal sacrifices, the animal offerings. He reinstalled the Passover, the Passover celebration, and he had people bring their, their tithes and offerings once again. And so, so if you're looking at the story on the religious surface, it's like really good. All of these things that should have been done, they started doing again. But knowing what I know from Micah, I can't help but ask, while they offered all of these religious gifts to God, what about their hearts? And what about their lives? And I'm asking that as I keep reading in verse 8, is they're saying, God, what gifts can we bring to you? With what shall I come before the Lord? And we read in verse 8, he has told you, O mortal, or O man, depending on your translation, he has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? See, God, we don't have to go, I wonder what God wants for us, from us. For Christmas, we don't have to wonder. He has told us, and he's given us a list of three things. To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what he really wants. All of the religious gifts, that's nice. Passover, that's beautiful. The offerings that you're bringing, your tithes, the animal sacrifice, I love all that. But you know, you know what I, I really want? I would just love it if you would be nice to one another. I would love it if you would treat others kindly. And as I was thinking about that, it reminded me of, of our recent celebration of life service of of Linda Gearhart, and most of you were here. And you remember perhaps one of her daughters, one of her daughters gets up and they're just giving all kinds of memories, and one of her daughters says, you know, we had the biggest problem with mom buying presents for her, especially Christmas presents. Because we just never knew what to get her. And whenever we would ask mom, what is it you want for Christmas? Mom, what would you like for us to give us? She would always give the same answer. And all the children answered with the one that was up here speaking. Mom would always say, you know what, I, you know what I'd really like for Christmas? And she would lean into them and she would say, obedience. To Linda, more important than nice gifts were how her children lived. I wonder if she wasn't reading Micah. In a very convicting way, as I thought about that, it reminded me of a scenario that plays out sometimes in my own life. 
Now, I'll just tell you, I have a great marriage, okay? Got to tell you that first. <laughs> but to be very honest with you, my marriage is not perfect. And you mean to tell you why Karen's actually at home sick this morning so I can talk freely. You mean to me tell you why my marriage is not perfect? It's not complicated to figure out. It's because I am in it. And some of you, all of you are probably going, that's impossible, Eddie, aren't you? Uh, you're, you're such a nice guy. Listen, you don't live with me. And if Karen was sitting here, there'd be a hearty Northern Irish accented amen at that point. I promise you, when Karen dies and goes to heaven, she's going to be greeted with a big old hug. And they're going to say, come here, darling. <laughs> Bless your heart. <laughs> there is the big old mansion over there. You have earned this. Because you see, listen, y'all. I am a high-maintenance husband. Don't let my niceness fool you, all right? I'm hard to live with. And there are times when Karen gets prophetic, kind of like Micah. And there are times when she uses a similar conversation with me that Micah used here, that God through Micah used here. She'll say to me, Eddie, I like the flowers at Valentine's. And the Christmas presents you give me, those, those are nice. And when you get up and make breakfast, that, that's good. And for my birthday, when you give me a card and take me out, I like that too. But Eddie, you know, you know what I really like? Is if you just treat me nicely. If you would just speak to me kindly. Wow. I am blessed to have a wife that loves me enough to be honest with me when I need her to be honest with me. We are blessed with a God who loves us enough to be honest with us when we need him to be. And in the book of Micah, he is lovingly, lovingly honest. I think as it was with the case of the people of Micah's day, I'm afraid this is how we too often treat God. We can live so contrary to God's will, treating him and others in whatever way we choose, but then come to church, check in, give our offering, make our tithes, take communion, and think everything's cool. But is it? Is it? Isn't it amazing how some can be so strongly focused on what we're doing right now, on getting this right? I mean, we can argue over it. There are people that leave churches, go to other churches because of what happens within this service assembly. We can be so focused on this ritual time together, which is important, so focused on that, on getting this right, but I wonder how focused are we on getting the way we treat God and others in our daily lives, how focused we are on getting that right. It's kind of like, what does God really want. I know a guy who wouldn't go with, this is a true story, not from here, so don't be wondering who I'm talking about. He wouldn't go with his wife to a particular church that she wanted to attend because he did not approve of what they did in the assembly with women in their assembly. 
He cared about women and what happened in their assembly, but evidently not at home. He was very verbally, emotionally, sexually, and physically abusive with his wife. What's important to God? What, what does God want? I've been in a conversation with someone who was deeply concerned about a praise team on the stage and deeply concerned with music in the background while we're having communion. But this same individual is living a very sexually immoral life with one person to the other. And it's like, what's important to God? What does God want? Sure, come to church this December for the Advent season. Come on Christmas Eve for our service. Invite your friends to it. Come on Christmas Day. We'll have a celebration the next day as well. Give to Mercy's Gate as you so generously did. That's awesome. God loves that. Go to that Christmas tree back there, and if there's still any tags up, grab one and buy a present for foster for children in foster care. God would love it if you would do that. And, and come here and give your tithes, give your offerings, and take communion. But you know, you know what God really wants? He's told you, O oh mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So as Micah is setting the stage for this incredible Christmas story, drawing our attention to the Messiah born in Bethlehem, he makes it very clear what God wants for Christmas. And here's what's really important to understand. These aren't, these three things aren't just like random things. You know, I don't know. I've got everything. I'm God. Um, I'll take justice. Um, I don't know. I'll take mercy. And, and how, be, how about humility? No, as, as we're going to unpack these three gifts, that's the reason for the three gifts that are behind me. As we're going to unpack these three gifts, we're going to see these weren't just random things that God just randomly thought up, but these were things that were specifically missing in the lives of God's people during the days of Micah. These were areas in the lives of the people that needed to change. And so, how could we sum up this introductory lesson to our study in Micah? What does God want for Christmas from you? He, he wants you to change. That's what he wants. And if you're saying, preach it, Eddie. If you're saying, yeah, for them, change for me? What are you talking about? If that's you, you need to come for the fourth lesson as we learn what it means to walk humbly, <laughs> humbly before our God. As Micah directs our attention to the one born in Bethlehem, the objective of the story isn't just to see Christ and go, wow, but it's then to see our own lives in comparison to what we see in Christ and make a decision of what is it in my life that needs to be realigned so that my life can be more like his, so that my life can be more like 
God. And that's the name in Hebrew of Micah. It means who is like God. I believe this. It is impossible to look upon Christ God in Christ and Bethlehem, it is impossible to see his glory, his holiness, and his righteousness and not in turn discover my unholiness and my unrighteousness in areas in my life that need to change to be more like him. If the Christmas story does not affect change in your life, then I really wonder what more will you have accomplished other than just another annual Religious ritual. What does God want for Christmas from you? He's told us. He wants you to change. Listen, listen. He would love that. So would your spouse. (laughs) Just ask them. So would your parents, just ask them. So would your children, just ask them. So would your co-workers, just ask them. So would your student friends at school, just ask them. So what does that look like? What does that mean for you? Let's ask him in prayer. Would you stand with me? I'm going to lead us in a prayer and then we're going to continue in a a prayer song with our our worship team. It'll be our offering to God in prayer, but I want you to really, for a moment, be quiet and listen to God and take this general message of Micah and let the Holy Spirit say, this is what I'm saying to you today. And then if you need prayers of of our church family, Bill, one of our shepherds, is in the prayer room right now. I would encourage you to go to him and pray or, or make yourself, our, our, our shepherds are here to pray with you as well. Or if there's someone you know that needs your hug and needs your prayer, take this time as we're singing to go to them. Or if you're that person that needs it, take this time. Don't be shy. Let's reach out and pray. Let's pray together. Father, we ask again this year during this Advent season that you'd open our ears our eyes and our hearts and our minds to hear you and to see you for all that you are in your holiness, in your righteousness, in your goodness. And Father, as we behold your presence, help us to see our own lives in comparison to you and to what you're calling us to be in our lives. Father, I I want this to be more than just another Sunday sermon, but oh, Holy Spirit, now in this quiet moment, would you speak to each one of us personally and individually what your words to them are from these ancient words. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.